Hey, everyone, this is Chris and Sandy Bit with the Chris and Sandy Show, where we get up close and personal with some amazing guests throughout the entertainment industry. And today, like I say on every episode, we've got a great show for you. We've got Ed Asner coming on, who's a legendary actor, has done so many wonderful things out there. I uh, wrote a great book called Son of a Junk, Junk Man. Uh, that, that's really great. And we're excited to hear parts of the story and just see where this goes. So, Ed, are you here? I'm here. Ready to work. How are you? <laughs> so how are you doing? Where's Sandy? So she's here. right there. All right, as long as she's here, I'm I'm ready to go. <laughs> I love that. <clears throat> so as you know, I always like to start the show out the same way this year. Hopefully next year I will not have to start it this way. But this year we're in a weird year with the whole coronavirus stuff. Uh, and I always like to talk about that a little bit at the beginning because, again, when, when it comes to being actors or being artists, anybody in the entra- entertainment industry has affected them. And I always like to know how it's affected. So if you want to uh, tell us how it's affected you and what are you doing to maneuver through it, that would be awesome. Well, uh, uh, my daughter books my shows. I, I do uh-huh. two shows. One is uh, – uh, a Man and His Prostate, which is a single show, and uh, does very well. And the other show uh, involves two people, man and woman, from whatever locale we're working out of. Now, the amazing thing is we did it for the first, well, not not for the first time, but for the latest time, we did it with, um, for the Piven uh Institute or in Chicago, and we had used one of their ladies for the girl in the show, and Michael Shannon, who was on Broadway with me in Grace last year, uh, or two years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, he's in Australia working, and he did the man, and I was in L.A., so uh, it was a Zoom taping, <laughs> and it was quite weird. <laughs> <clears throat> Gotta love technology, though, because, you know, in this day and time, you know, 10 years ago, if corona would have happened, I think we'd be in really big trouble. But because of technology, it really, really helped us still <laughs> do it. <laughs> Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know what really you mean. <laughs> I'm going to throw the lie in your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, talking about your book, Son of a Junk Man, um, I used to be part of this business where a guy named Coleman Orr, and he, he said he told a story. And, I, and your book made me think of this story. But um, he told a story about um, his dad was the junk man in his area mm-hmm. and there would be times of where <clears throat> where he had a big part of the play and his mom was there and some snooty woman came up to his his mom oh are you Komenor's mother oh boy yes i am because you know she was so proud because you know he was in his very first play and stuff yeah and then uh, you now you're you're so and so's wife aren't you aren't, aren't you so-and-so's wife ain't he the junk man and and Coleman told the story where she said it so loud 
where everybody could hear because it was a put down. <laughs> well, and, you know, uh, uh, and, growing and, up, we were not proud that my <laughs> my daddy was a junk man. But, but what uh, I'm, saying, I'm saying she was, you know, the lady was trying to say was trying to put hurt that family down because it was a junk man. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I uh, as I've gotten older. I'm I'm so mm. proud of what my dad made for his wow. family, uh-huh. and and uh, the he had five kids. I was the youngest, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I could have gone to finish. I could have finished college, but mm-hmm. I began to act. So oh, wow. uh, he provided well for his family, and the junk business is an interesting business. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? It's turning turning other people's rejects into something that uh, is useful. <laughs> so I got bet y'all found a lot of cool stuff too. Uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I found a, uh, a an 1850 translation of the Iliad by Alexander Pope, a leather bound edition, oh, wow. as part of my treasure. <laughs> oh wow! So, as you were growing up, did acting come natural, or when did you kind of know that that was the route you wanted to go? Not until college. I did radio oh, wow. in high school, so mm-hmm. I suppose I was leaning towards it in my junior and senior years. But I really didn't do the plunge um, in a warm-fleshed body. <laughs> uh, until uh, my first year in college. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and when you jumped, you jumped, huh? I sure did. <laughs> Cause, yeah, and I like to tell this story because, you know, do you think – now, do you think that acting is harder now to, to make it when you're smaller than it was back in your day when you first started? Uh, well, it you can't really judge anything because of the the uh, COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's complicated everyone's life throughout the world. Mm-hmm. What, a, what a, I mean, this masks, social distancing. It's a it's a, it's a different world that I'm I'm leaving in. Than uh, mm-hmm. than the one I entered in uh, ninety years ago. Wow. <clears throat> so, um, as you were growing up, um, how did your dad's um, being he, him being a junk man and stuff, and and I love that you found something great about him because I think that's so important in this day and time. Um, what, what, how did that influence you through, through the life? What are some things that that you saw him do? That helped you in life. Well, he was a scrimper, <laughs> and uh, I learned to scrimp from him. <laughs> My mother was a scrimper as well. So, oh, wow. uh, uh, they, uh, you know, the old phrase, "Waste not, want not." <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, that's a good policy to follow in this rapacious. Uh, Reign of humanity on Mother Earth. 
and you know. Now, now, now we we're, we're acidifying our world. We're mm-hmm. eating up the barrier reefs right and left. The uh, ozone is melting the polar caps. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got to start waking up, and that was the biggest reason to vote against Mr. Trump, in my opinion. The fact yeah. that. Uh, uh, climate change didn't bother him. Yeah. And it's a great threat to the world we live in. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely understand that. And, yeah. you know, and we definitely always want to leave our planet better than what we found it. I, I well, definitely it's, it's support it. following my old man's teasing, <laughs> waste not, want not. And, and, you know, you're talking about the waste not. I tell you what, we can relate to that because, you know, we're trying to build this crazy little show called the Chris and Sandy Show, we and are, you know, yeah. and we we scrimp by, you know, we don't, you know, we don't have all this money. Like, you know, there are many people who do shows who have this cushion and all that. Sandy yeah. and I don't have no cushion. It's just us, our two kids, and we just, you know, what we got this crazy idea for a show. And you know, talking about COVID a while ago. Um, we started our show January 3rd, and the plan was to do 100 interviews our very first year. COVID happens, and I was like, oh, um, this could be our year to shine because I always look for opportunities when everybody else is, like, frustrated on things. Like, this is opportunity for us. And because of that, mm-hmm. you are now our 262nd interview. My God. Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> When did you start? January 3rd. January 3rd, this year. That's that's prodigious what you've done. <laughs> we appreciate, we, we've just been all in, you know, again, you know, we, it's, you know, you talk about scripting by and stuff, you know, in the evenings, we deliver food, you know, so we're kind of essential workers, you know, because we, we deliver food through all this pandemic yes. for people, and that helps keep us afloat while we try to build this show. Uh-huh. And it's been crazy, it's, and it's and like I said, you know, 2020 happens, the pandemic happens, and we're like, okay, um, we're just trying to make this crazy show work, and then this crazy <laughs> pandemic kind of catapulted us a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> it did. It's uh, and uh, I am sure you when you, you learn how to dodge this bullet that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The next bullet yeah. will come even sooner. <laughs> but, right. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I told you know Sandy and I are always talking, and, and I was like, you know, the day's going to come when we're on a stage telling our story. Yeah. And people are going to hear our story and the things that we had to jump through to create this show and create the life that we're trying to create, and they're just not going to believe it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're trying to take notes, and we're going to write a book on it someday. <laughs> I know. I know. Any departure from the ordinary is always a, a, a there's a strangeness. There's a, a an other world aspect to who mm-hmm. you are and what you are. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, we're trying to make something again. You know, and you know, we we get when when you said you were all in, 
Um, I always like to tell this story about you – know, back in 2014, we interviewed a girl named Allison Steele. And I always like to tell this story because I think it's important, and I think you'll agree with this, that, that you know, they, her and her daughter were singers, and they were up and coming. And I and one of the questions I asked her, and I like, to, and, and I always like to talk about this side of because, as you know, people see the glory of all your actors, the glory of all your artists, but they don't see the grind, the sacrifice, the tears, the struggles that they go through to get there. And I remember asking Allison what advice she would give an up-and-coming artist, and I'll never forget her answer. And I think this goes great with actors too. Because I think it's the same thing. She said, "What uh, if you can see yourself?" doing anything else outside of your passion, then go do that and just keep this as a hobby. She goes, because, of, because the moment you want it to be a career, everybody owns a piece of your life. You, you, uh, your friends and relatives, they never understand because you know they have a nine-to-five type job. You have this 24-7. You've got these gigs. You're gigging all that, and they invite you to weddings, to cookouts, to weekends, to holidays. But you have to say no because you're so busy. You're trying to make it in the acting world or you're trying to make it in the artist world you know, because you're a creative, and they don't understand that. Then your family has to sacrifice on top of that, and, they do, and you know, so it's not just about you. But then she added, she said, but if your heart will not allow you to do anything outside of that passion, then go all in because the only way that those kind of sacrifices could ever be worth it what do you think of kind of the philosophy that she was talking about? And let's talk about the sacrifices you've made, especially at the beginning. Well, you got to go all in. I, I, I did factory jobs. I worked in the Ford plant in, uh, in Chicago uh, and uh, the steel mills in Gary. And uh, at the same time, I was all in to be an actor wherever I could be. <laughs> So if they said no matter what part it was, I guess you took it. Uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Tell us your very first major role. Tell us about that moment where when they, when you you got the part and then you did it. What was that? What was that? Well, actually, that's what got me into into uh, acting. I uh, as I said, I, I I did radio in high school. And uh, mm-hmm. that was like a, uh, <laughs> uh, and then entertaining myself hobby, and uh, mm. uh, got to college, and they had radio going there, and I uh, asked my roommate who was involved in the theater group, uh, should I audition for this uh, radio show they're going to put on on the radio, the closed circuit radio uh, network in the uh-huh. dormitory system. And he said, let me hear you read. I read <laughs> some Walt Whitman, uh-huh. and his jaw dropped. He said, where'd, where'd you learn to read like that? Because he came <laughs> from New Jersey. He's a wise uh-huh. ass from New Jersey. And I was a cowboy and Indian from Kansas. <laughs> and uh, I shrugged. And... Uh, he said, by all means. So I ended up doing the Duke of York in that production. Oh, wow. Then he came running home one day from the theater, I guess. Mm. And he said, listen, they're casting for the spring production 
of um, 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 oh God, what is oh, already everybody? The memory is beginning to fade. Wait a minute, Thomas Beck, Murder in the Cathedral by T. S. Eliot. Uh, a, a play in verse about the murder of Archbishop Thomas Beckett. And uh, he said, listen, they're casting for that. You ought to go, you can do any role in it. So I checked the book out. I didn't read it. But I went and auditioned, and I ended up doing the lead. Oh, wow. And and doing the lead, I I became so full of myself <laughs> that... Uh, I um, found myself diving into the world of theater for life. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So that, that was a game changer for you. Yeah. Now, was that around the time when you made the move to L.A.? No, long before. Long oh. before. So, so tell us I, about I that. I did decision. that, and I put in two years in the Army at uh, – at that camp in in Georgia, I can't remember the name of it. Um, <laughs> camp, camp, damn, 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 damn. Uh, I'll have to find a way to figure out how to remember that. Uh, I put two years in the army, ended up in France, and while I was in France, stationed in France, uh, I got a uh, letter from Paul Sill. Mm-hmm. who said, uh, come back and join us in Chicago. We're starting a professional theater. We're going to do good old plays and new plays. And oh, wow. it's like my life fell into place. Man. I could do <laughs> nothing but go back to Chicago. <laughs> and, and, you know, I get where you're coming from because because, you know, my wife and I, we've been married 18 years now. We just crossed that 18-year mark. And we've done – and it's funny, reading your book, and you're talking about all the different things you've done and failed at, we can relate because we've probably launched 100-plus ideas that all failed trying to find yeah. our little path here yeah. in our 18 years of marriage. And we just – we've tried this, <laughs> and we've tried that, and we've tried this. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> we start this crazy little show. The Chris and Sandy show, and I just fell in love with this. It's like I I now cannot imagine not doing the show. Uh, that's good. We love it. It's good to find that all. It's good to have someone, something like that, come along and bolster the decision you've already made. Mm-hmm. It supports it. It strengthens it. Absolutely. That's our hope. That, that's our, you, you know, like, like when it comes to like in the music world, we want to be like the Bobby Bones or the Ty Bentleys out there um, eventually as a, as a show. And, and, you know, the way I like to run our show, as, as you can tell probably already, is I like it to be a conversation because I think that, you know, I don't want to be I, – I would have to quit if, if I had to be one of these interviewers where you ask a question, they answer. You ask a question – no, I can't do that. I'm a conversationalist, you know. And yeah. I always kind of joke. I always kind of joke. Yeah. You know, maybe I kind of want to be the Oprah of podcasts uh-huh. because because when you look at Oprah, her mastery, in my opinion, is how she can connect with that guest 
by pulling one of her stories into what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's she's a bright, bright woman, and she's able to to dance on her uh, unceasingly on her feet, uh, even though she's sitting down. Uh, yeah. Right. And yeah. uh, it's paid off for her. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's paying off for you. I when you tell me you've got two hundred and some personalities. <laughs> Involved in your since January, that's a hell of a score. And 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 on top of that, we have the legendary Ed Asner on. I mean, you can't get no bigger than that. (laughs) (laughs) We're so honored that you would come our show today. Well, it's an honor to be with you. Well, we definitely appreciate that. So, so tell us the story behind your big fame of the Mary Tyler. So how, how did that happen? Well, I, uh, I'd been in LA for a while. Ethel Winant was the vice president of CBS for talent. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, uh, was doing a, uh, a film at, uh, 20th century Fox and Grant Tinker, Mary's husband, was uh, mm-hmm. doing some task, fulfilling of uh, some obligation at 20th, and he became aware of the comedic police chief I was doing in mm-hmm. this movie that I was uh, uh, cast in as a freelancer. Yeah. And um, he had... Uh, Alan Burns and uh, uh, Jim Brooks uh, pairing the Mary Teller Moore show. And they were looking for her boss. And he said, Mm -hmm. "Uh, have you considered Ed Asner? So they then turned to Ethel Winant and and said, "Uh, can Ed Asner do comedy? (laughs) And she lied beautifully. She said, Ed Asner can do anything. (laughs) <laughs> and she had never seen me do comedy But by oh, God wow. They auditioned wow. me And after a series of starts and goes um, I ended up being Mary's boss <laughs> Oh wow uh, That's just Again, you know, when it comes to life And chasing your passions you just never know where it's going to lead you, where that big break is going to come, where the next big thing that lifts you up. And I love hearing your story because, you know, you've had a lot of ups and downs. Um, tell us a few moments um, of the big ups where, you're, where you look back on your career so far in this long career that you have. And a few moments where you're like, wow, you know, I treasure that so much. Um. Well, I had done comedy on the stage in my amateur time, mm-hmm. uh, I had all, but I always feared it. I feared it because uh, I, I said, yeah, well, I, I was funny that moment. <laughs> now, how do I recapture that moment and be funny again? Yeah. To me, it was like a one-shot. Um, and... Uh, 
as a freelancer, I was called in to read for Alan Burns and Jim Brooks, and uh, they had me read the hiring scene for Mary, and I read it, and Jim Brooks said, uh, well, that was a very intelligent reading. And I mumbled to myself, yeah, but it wasn't funny. <laughs> and when well, we had you back to read with Mary, read it all crazy, all wiggy, all wild and and uh, uh, unlicensed. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> I said, okay, at least I'm coming back to read with Mary. I tried yeah. to walk on. I said, look, why don't you try me that way now? And if I don't capture it, then don't have me back. I've never talked that way before or since. Uh, So he said, well, we have another appointment, which happened to be Gavin McLeod. But go ahead. So I read it like a crazy person. I didn't know what I was doing. And they laughed appreciatively. And they said... uh, do it just like that when you come back to read with Mary. Oh, wow. And uh, for the 10 days or two weeks it took to come back, I said, what the hell did I do? What, how, what, how did I handle it? How did I handle it? I came back and I read it like a lunatic again. And they laughed again. <clears throat> And uh, I found out a couple of years later, after mm. being on the show, that um, when I left the room, Mary turned to the producers, the two guys, and she said, Are you sure? <laughs> they said, That's your Lou Grant. Oh, wow. Oh, awesome. That's amazing. And that's, and that's how the spinoff came up. No, that's not. What do you mean, spinoff? The Lou Grant. Oh, after that. Oh, after no, that, that came seven yeah, years seven. later. Right. Oh, uh, so everything has been building and building and building here. Everything has been building? You know, it, it's like each part that you do has been building to the next. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, <laughs> and. <laughs> It's letting you uh, knock it out, giving you another chance to knock it out of the park. (laughs) I love that. You know, you were talking about the fear. I got to tell you a quick story of something that happened to me about 15 years ago. It was at the beginning of our marriage, and um, I guess five, six years in, and we were helping launch a young professional's thing in Savannah. And they needed three people for the first night. To speak now, I've never spoken spoken in front of a group. I, I'll do it. It's only five minutes. Because I was like, you know, five minutes. What could possibly go wrong in five minutes? Um, <clears throat> couple red flags happen. One thing I learned: do not change your speech the day that you're going to speak. Do not do learn. what. Do not change what you're going to say in your speech the day of. Lesson learned. Second lesson, because I'll tell you what happened in a minute. Second lesson was do not have your very first speech in front of 250 to 300 people. (laughs) So there I was 
I got up on that stage, and I had my notes in my hand, and I thought I would just read parts of it. The only problem was the notes were shaking so bad that I couldn't read the notes. <laughs> I thought no big deal. <laughs> so uh, I thought no big, you know, no big deal. There's a podium. I'll put it on there. Only problem is the podium, and I'm a short guy now, but the podium came up to my waist, and it, and the light was dimmed, so it's not like I could really read it. Okay, okay. It's since this five minutes is really kind of me telling my story. I thought, you know what? No big deal. I've got this. I open my mouth. And I literally, nothing comes out. Mm-hmm. Nothing. I'm sitting on stage for 250 professional people, all in suits and ties. And nothing comes out. I'm just like, Bleh. and I'm yeah, like, uh-oh. Was like, not <laughs> wrong, I was like, oh, no, what's he going to do? And all I could think in, in that moment was this was a defining moment for me. Because I knew that if I walked off stage and didn't finish what I came to do, I'd probably never speak again. Mm-hmm. So I try, so I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm about 40 seconds in now, and still nothing is coming out. I mean, and I'm trying. Yeah. Everybody sees this. I, I'm thinking they're going to get me off this stage real soon. I just know it. You know, and then about a minute, <laughs> about a minute in, I finally take a deep breath. And I tell the audience, I was like, okay, if y'all get nothing else out of what of this, at least you get a good laugh. Everybody laughed, and I was able to calm down and nail the rest. Yeah. But that was my very first thing of speaking. <laughs> when you talk about the fear, that was you, you made a joke, and it worked. It worked. <laughs> but well, the same kind of applied to me. Uh-huh. I was hired to do uh, uh, be an announcer for the Tonys, uh-huh. Tony oh, wow. Awards. So uh, I was given a uh, uh, um, a tape to play. Uh, I, w- I was going to sing the selections to be chosen from mm-hmm. the Tony, and. Oh, wow. uh, uh, it was with a piano, so I I kept playing the tape and singing the songs and singing the selections, singing the selections, and finally I the day comes and I go down and I'm uh, uh, in my dressing room waiting to be called, and I say okay five minutes, so I go and I stand behind the curtain and then they say. Uh, you enter, you know, just part the curtain and go through and and do your, uh, the, when you hear your cue, your music mm-hmm. cue. Well, I, mm-hmm. uh, and I was used to listening to piano. Yeah. And yeah. now I hear the orchestra, and it's a full-fledged orchestra. I said, where the hell's <laughs> the piano in there? <laughs> I can't find it. I can't find it. What my cue is going to be? Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! And finally, I make a guess. I don't know if I'm right or wrong. I said that must be it. And I go out there. I'm uh, at the podium, 
and I gotta start singing the songs, and I do. I somehow guessed right. I oh, suppose wow. it was in my blood, uh, wow. and I got through that. But uh, that was an earth-shaking moment, I'll tell you. <laughs> yes. You know, that, I could have used your almost, joke. <laughs> That'd be good. <laughs> What's funny about this is I remember when we first launched our show, January third, and um, I, I thought I told Sandy I can talk. I'm, I'm not worried about talking. You know, if if things get quiet, I can make something up. It's not a big deal. My issue was I've never used any of this technology for this type of stuff. And I was like, what if it goes out in the middle of an interview? And I'm thinking to myself, that would be my worst, worst fear. And I guess the universe, God, and all that heard me and figured, you know what? If that's your worst fear, let's make it happen. Yeah. So there, there we there we were on the very about first three, show. three three or four minutes in the show, mm-hmm. and all of a first sudden our guest disappears, and I'm mm-hmm. and, and I disappear, and and I and Sandy comes running into the room and says, "What what happened? I don't know." And then um, Ashlyn, um, who was our first guest, texts me and says, "What happened?" I, I don't know, <laughs> and and I, so we all called back into the system, and it was still live. <laughs> so, yeah. and so we able to get in it, and I and we finished it. But here's the funny part: I text a friend of mine who's done 500 shows on this same software that that evening, and told him what happened. And he says, "You know, out of 500 shows, I've never heard of that happening." Mm. So here it is, our very first show. That happens. It's not happened since, but it had to happen on the very first show. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's called the icebreaker. Because, <laughs> like I said, like I said, that was my biggest fear. So once that got through, yeah. you know what? I didn't fear it no more. We made it through it. Yeah. <laughs> well, showbiz will always have that that, that kind. Of there, were, there was a time when I was uh, in New York and I was doing J- J- Jonathan Peachum in Three Penny Opera at the Theater de Lise. And um, it was a uh, Sunday afternoon. I had been to the movies the night before and uh, I was tired. And uh, uh, the play was designed in such a way that I'm busy in the first act, and I have very little to do in the second act, and then big time third act. Yeah. And I, I uh, finished the, uh, and we we were in two man cubicles in our dressing room, mm-hmm. little cubicles that uh, boarded on the central walkway that led downstairs to the entrance to the stage, and. Uh, I uh, uh, I uh, finished the first act with a big finale of the first act hmm. with Mrs. Peachum and Polly, and go upstairs and and I uh, finish it with my vest unbuttoned and my uh, uh, and my hat on 
Mm-hmm. So I come upstairs and I sit in my chair and I lean back and and I say, okay, now I can relax in the second act. And I do. Mm-hmm. I relax and I hear the first song of the second act. I say, okay, I got time. <laughs> and I go back to dozing again and I hear the second song and the third song and the fourth song. I don't know how many songs there were in the second act, but the next thing I know, I'm dead asleep and I'm being (laughs) shaken forcibly by the stage manager saying, Ed, you're on, you're on! (laughs) And I jump up and my leg, which was crossed, had fallen asleep. Oh, wow. I'm busy putting on my coat, buttoning my vest, and trying to figure out how to make my move. And I finally head towards the stairs, which lead to the downstairs entrance to the stage. And I realized too much time had passed. Tiger Brown, the police chief, is on stage alone. I've got to mm-hmm. throw him a bone. So from upstairs, I belt down as loudly as I can. My <laughs> name is Peachum. I am here to do 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 do. Yeah, that's my dog. Uh, so, so from the dark at the bottom of the stairs, I hear the police chief. Oh, Dudley, Dudley, come here. Dudley! Uh, I hear the police chief, and uh, I hear him say, Never mind, Ed, it's too late. (laughs) So I never got on the stage for the little scene at the end of the second act, and uh, I was horribly embarrassed and ashamed. There was no second act finale that day at that matinee. Uh Wow. Now, who screwed up the biggest, you or me? (laughs) 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 And you know what's great about all that is, and I think in this day and time, everybody wants to succeed all the time. And, you know, we learn when we fall. I think that that's when we grow the most as people. Yeah. And we're all human. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, nobody hated me enough. That I mean, you know, that's that's a horrible to to kill the opening to the second act finale. <laughs> uh, but that audience didn't seem to mind. <laughs> They, they probably thought you were part of you were. They probably thought that was just part of the act. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I guess that, I guess that's one th- good thing about when you're on stage. If you do make a goof up, and if you're good, the audience will never know. Or you could use it to your advantage and sometimes get a laugh. <laughs> that too. That's true. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. So tell us a little bit about the work you do at Autism and how that came about. 
Well, I, I, I have a, I have a um, young son. Uh, well, he's in his thirties now. Uh, who was diagnosed as being autistic, and my older son, in his brilliance, uh, decided to create the Ed Asner um, Hall or meeting place for mm-hmm. autism for the families of autists and for the autists themselves. Yeah. Various classes are provided there. Counseling is provided. Wow. Acting, dance, physicality, all of those things. Uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a central meeting place. <laughs> and you know, we can tell you're definitely a family man. And our show is a family affair show. We have, we, we kind of have a third co-host, our little eight-year-old. We always let him come on our show and ask one question. We do. So, Sandy, so Sandy's going to get little Chris on. And we've got a 20-month-old daughter that when she gets older, we'll plug her into the show too because <laughs> we are a family affair. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> and what's funny about you Sandy and I – Oh, that's a crazy story. We um, Back in – February of 2002, we met online, which back then it was taboo back then. Everybody meets online now, but we met online February 2nd of 02. We talked on the phone for the first time on February 4th. We set a wedding date by February 18th, and then we met in person March 4th. So we actually were meeting in person to see who we were going to marry. In person? Yeah, we, we, yeah, we met online first. Set a wedding date and all that, so it was like a month later we met in person, but we were already engaged. I'll be damned. <laughs> and here we That's are. That's great. Eighteen, you know, here we are, just crossed eighteen years 18 of marriage. What's that? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here, here we are. Here we the day for this, and I didn't think of it that the gardener shows up with a damn blower. <laughs> so that, that's my musical accompaniment that you hear in the background. And the dog's barking, but he wants to tear out his guts. <laughs> well, we there you go. Anyway, I'm sorry about that. I apologize. Well, no problem. Here is Christopher with his question. Hi, What's Ed, that? What's your favorite food? Hi, Ed. Hi, who's you? What's your name? Christopher. Christopher, hi, I'm delighted to meet you. I hear great things about you. Thank you. What? What's your favorite food? Yeah. Hello. Okay, now ask me. What's your favorite food? Is that better? Much. Much, huh? I wish you had told me sooner. <laughs> he 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 asked, "What was your favorite food?" Where did Christopher go? He's there. Look, Chris. He's eight yeah. years old. What's your favorite food? What's that? What's your favorite food? Food? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I guess uh, spaghetti. Hmm. Mm. Oh, I, 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 I love uh, ice cream sundaes, too. 
as you can call <laughs> yeah, that he, food. <laughs> and he loves pizza. Oh yeah. Well, uh, pizza, you, you got to chew too much. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah, the reason you like pizza is because it gives you a chance to use your teeth, your new teeth. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Bye, Chris. <laughs> Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, he comes and Thank goes you. quick, but he, but he loves doing the show with us again. You know, and then of course we got Caitlin, and you know we're making all these crazy connections within music, within entertainment, and who knows? Maybe the connections are for them down the road. How old is Caitlin? Twenty months. Twenty-one. Twenty months old. Twenty months. Ah, yeah. Congratulations. What's funny funny is all of our friends have kids in college, and here we are with an eight-year-old and a 20-month-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you dirty old man. (laughs) 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 They'll keep us young, hopefully. Yep. So how did the Santa one with Elf happen? Uh, I I have no idea. I just, uh, <laughs> John Favreau, I knew. I had done Party of Five for him, with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had no idea that he would, would write and direct and, of course, had the brilliance to cast Will Ferrell as my Six foot five inch elf. <laughs> oh well, <clears throat> crazy, wasn't it? Yeah. But so he, is Will uh, Ferrell as funny off screen as he is on screen? What's that? Is Will Ferrell as funny off screen as he is on screen? Yes, he is. He is every <laughs> up until I met Will Ferrell. <laughs> Ted Knight was the funniest man I had ever come across. <laughs> But when I met Will, he blew all the competition away. Oh wow, I love that. Yeah. <clears throat> awesome. So, so looking back on your career, what would you say to you personally is your biggest accomplishment? My biggest what? Accomplishment to to you. I was just staying uh, staying interested. <laughs> Being able to. Pick up a script and and throw myself into it. That wow. that excites me and it pleases me. Being yeah. pleased is uh, <laughs> is a good way to continue. Mm-hmm. I definitely understand that because again, you know, we've like we told you, we've done 260 shows now. Yeah. And to do that many in this short a time. You definitely have to be interested in it because you, eventually it would get boring if you're not. But I know, you know, with two hundred, but but with two hundred and sixty different people, you just never know where the, well, the guess is going to go. Bring a a faggot to the fire. Uh huh. Right. Exactly. They do. And, yeah. and you never know where, and you never know what they're going to say. That's that's the funny part is is there there were there are times. <laughs> There are times I've, I've had to edit, and I don't like to edit, to be honest with you. I'd rather run the show, 
download yeah. it, upload and upload it. But every now and then, there'll be a piece of something to where you know. I don't think that I need to air that part. I have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. <laughs> it's like it's like uh, being asleep during the first act, the second act finale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you talk about your biggest accomplishment. What would you say is your biggest regret? I don't. I I have no regrets. Not 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 in terms of showbiz. I, yeah, I've I've, I love that. I've I've been honest. Yeah. I've been more honest there than I have in my real my my personal life. Yeah. And I your book is yes really no authentic. Uh, and, and you know, and, and your book is really authentic. I tell you, because as you're reading the book and some of the stories you tell. You get very personal. Wow. Uh, well, <coughs> I guess if you're writing an autobiography, you better get personal. People <laughs> won't want to look at it. Yes, that's, that's true. true. And, and, and you know what's funny? Um, about 50 episodes back, we had an artist on, and we were interviewing. And I remember as we were talking, and he made a comment. He says, you know, because he could tell where we were going. He says, you know, to be honest with you, I'd rather stick to music because that's who I am. And you I rather was, what? So, so, he said he'd rather stick to music because that's who he is. So I had to call him out on that, to be honest with you. So I asked him, I was like, do you even know what, my, what our tagline to our show is? He says, no. I was like, our tagline is, says up close and personal. Huh. He, he was like, oh, and and then and then he thought about it, and he says, "You know what? I've actually," he said, "I've actually been more personal on your show than I have other podcasts." And I was like, "Okay, well, I like to hear uh, that." <laughs> uh, good, good, because that's that's what our show is. I I never, you know, when we launched um, back in, two, uh, you know, back in January. I was like, um, "How can we be different?" I was granted being a husband and wife team that makes us different already. Anyway, for a show. But I wanted to be more different. I was like, how can we be different? So I listened to a lot of different podcasts. I was like, you know, especially when it, because it started out as just the music. I mean, now it's more of an entertainment interview show, but it started out as just music. And I remember listening to When are you going to gonna entertain me? <laughs> Hopefully you have been at least a little bit entertained. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully um, <laughs> but, um, but, I, but I remember um, here, seeing some of these other podcasts out there. And I was like, you know what? They don't really get in depth with guests. They go 20 minutes, and all they can talk about is music. I'm like, you know what? That's where we'll be different. We're going to give guests 60 minutes so that we can actually get in depth with their stories. And that's what we've tried to do. <laughs> and did he? Well, no, I'm saying that's what we've tried to do with our show. Yeah, he, uh -huh. got, he, he definitely went um, – a little deep and, and stuff, but but that's what we're trying yeah. to do with our show yeah. is is we're, is the goal of the show is because I remember yeah. we were we were like um, what kind of tagline can we come up with, and then it hit me, what is it that I want to do, 
I want to be up close and personal. I was like, oh, that's a tagline, and that's how we came up with tagline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that's that's how I uh, that's how I won my first wife, <laughs> who who should have been my last wife, mm-hmm. but I I made a mistake. And and uh, I and you know I can really I can relate to what you said in the book because Sandy's not my first wife. Uh-huh. But because I but because I went through 19 years of addictions, I destroyed my first marriage uh-huh. because of the addictions. And uh-huh. I remember when Sandy and I married, the first five years of this marriage was really hell on Sandy. Uh-huh. And because of my addictions, and and I'll never forget. She, you know, she she never nagged me. She never put me down. She loved me through the addictions. And sometimes people will say to me, to us, when we tell our story, oh, she allowed you to walk over her in those early years. Like, no, 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 she did not do that. She allowed me to experience God's pure love through her. And that's the way I see it, because without her pure love, I'd probably be dead today. Well, I I could apply a lot of that to my first wife. (laughs) Well, and and now I've been sober for um, almost 13 years. Oh, good. Good man, congratulations. Well, thanks. You've, it's definitely uh, been a blessing being sober. You've gone, you've gone through the curtain. <laughs> it's like, and the good thing about this is, as we uh, make our transition into Nashville eventually, and stuff, you know, and we're around people, I can show people an example of that you can still live life without all those addictions. Of course, of course. I see New Jersey just allowed marijuana. Yep. Just did you see? Um, yeah. Did you see um, Oregon? Now they didn't pass. Uh, they didn't legalize this, but they decriminalized heroin and cocaine. Who did? Oregon. Oregon. So yeah. now, yep. So now people can use cocaine and heroin all they want and not get arrested. Oh my God, that's quite a plus. That's quite an advance. Uh, I hope it empties a lot of jails. <laughs> but that's that's what they did there. Um, so as, well, as we and, and of course, yeah. as we know, yeah. mm. it's it's the expense of those uh, of those items which yeah. drove men to commit crimes because they weren't holding down jobs. And they were they they would commit strong arm robbery and, and kill to mm-hmm. get the money to buy a dose. Yeah, because <clears throat> I've been there, you know. I yeah. I didn't do all the crime. I mean, I did crime, but that was many years ago in my early yeah. years. Yeah. But but when Sandy and I were married and all that at the beginning, my thing was, you know, I I bought this cheap malt liquor. Because it don't take it didn't take much to get me drunk. So you know, a couple uh, bucks and I'm drunk. And I, and, uh, and I did that over and over and over and over at the beginning of our marriage. But well, my daughter. I'm just glad that, that that's my past. She was <clears> a <throat> well, wine drinker, and uh, she finally. But what her her big achievement mm-hmm. was uh, uh, about four months ago, maybe five months. She stopped cigarettes. And, oh wow. Uh, that was yeah. 
quite an achievement. Mm-hmm. I had a friend. I who, love to uh, hear stories like that. Who stopped drinking mm-hmm. so he could stop smoking? <coughs> oh wow! Wow, love that. So as we wind the show down here, um, what do you want to be known for? What What's your oh, legacy? God. Uh, call it Azure. He can fill any vacancy. Oh, I love that. <laughs> unless it's a, unless it's a decaying tooth. Uh-huh. <laughs> In which case, I'll advise you to pull it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's end the show on this note. What advice? You know, there's a lot of people that want to do what you've done when, when it comes to acting. What advice would you give the up-and-coming actors and actresses out there? Well, first of all, see if there's still going to be acting going on in the world. Mm-hmm. COVID, COVID has so twisted everybody's life yeah. and, and, and uh, yeah. caused, yeah. caused them to, huh? Well, that's that's true. True. Yeah, it has. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, if there's still acting going on, community theater, local theater, uh, that's that's where to begin. You plunge mm-hmm. in and you start learning how to act. And you pick mm-hmm. up the trade as you go along. Yeah. And... Uh, it uh, it's a wonderful life if you don't weaken. <laughs> I love that, and you know, as we close the show, we really enjoyed having you on the show, and we and we actually look forward to having you back down the road too. Well, thank yes, you. Yes, we I look forward to getting back on the road because uh, it uh, it keeps the joints uh, greased. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it sure well, you know what. Great way to end the show, and you know what? We look forward to talking to you down the road. So you have a great, great, great day. It's a, it's a, it's a delight talking to you too. Keep it up. Well, thank you. I'll All right, we you. will. Maybe yeah, sure I'm, I'm back for your 36th anniversary. <laughs> yeah, thank you. All right. <laughs> All right. Bye. Take care, guys. Thank, Lots thank of love. you.